everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. You know me and Haley, but right now we have a very special guest we need to introduce you to. It's Ashley Zuckerman, one of the stars of the Fear Street trilogy. Holy shit. It's so good. It's so good. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's, it's, uh, I, I, I'm, uh, uh, very, very, very proud. And it's nice to be in something that's, well, catching fire like this. And yeah. And then people seem to, have, uh, yeah, they, they've really, they've really taken to it because it rules. Because it rules. It really does. It's not that I had low expectations or anything. I feel like it's just, it's another scenario when, you know, you get really good horror, but then all of a sudden you get something great, like something that is likely to fit all time status going forward. Yeah, I I think so. I think like, I think even while we were making it, we knew that it was, well, it just felt special and Lee so special and, and and the group was so special, but there's like an extra element of 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 what the moment is and this film these films seem to have tapped into something of the moment that I, I think people are connecting to it because of what the world's going through and they see in it uh what they're trying to express and i think i think that's what's giving people that that's that's also what's also driving the film I definitely would agree with that that's a big part uh we warned you we're going to talk a little bit about everything right now we kind of wanted to go back to the beginning and get to know you a little more Great. um it, You've got a whole bunch of variety on your resume, whether we're talking about on-screen work or stage work. So when you first pictured yourself making it, so to speak, in the entertainment industry, what, what did you picture? What was kind of the end goal on day one of your journey? I, I, I think that, um, that those goalposts have changed so many times and, and what that might look like. Uh, yeah, it kept being very new for me. I think at the beginning it was... Well, I just didn't know. I, 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 my, I don't come from a, um, a family of uh, creatives. And so this, this world was all very new to me. Um, I knew I, I wanted to be uh, part of it. I very much you know, lo- loved the camaraderie. I loved the, 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 making, uh, the making of things, but I, I think I knew very little about it. Um, and then uh, now, it, like at a certain point, it sort of became clear that like m- making it just meant being able to choose the jobs and always try to be at the center of feel like you're at the center of making something that um, to be with other great people and just all trying to do something together. That that seems like and if I could do that from job to job to job, that's the, that's what's special. You mentioned you don't come from a family of creatives. So did you have a particular experience? Did you see a particular film? What was it that pushed you in that direction? No, that's changed. It's, it's, it's very funny. I, I, even that's changed in, in recent years. Like what, what my perception of childhood and why I wanted to do this. I think for a long time, I really just thought it was, um, I, I really just had a, a I was worried that I probably wanted to get into it because I was chasing attention or something like that was my perception of uh, like me as a, of, as a 12 year old thinking like, why would I, why was this something that was attractive to me? And then I think as I've, as I've gotten older, I think, uh, you know, I, I think uh, our family was very academic. We were very, uh, very cerebral. And I think that there is a truth to express something. I think that's, that's probably what it came down to. And, the, and so getting into it 
that's what I found in it. I don't think I was able to articulate it at the time, but I think once I started doing it, I thought, oh, wow, this is an opportunity to actually speak to everything that's going on inside me and actually, you know, share it. But, and then, and then it, it became a little more serious. And, and then, and then I, you know, I, I found a love of actually telling, you know, stories that stopped being about me, I think, I hope. I hope. So, <laughs> I hope. well, what would you call the the big break, the the project or the gig that kind of made you go, I want to do this to I am here and I'm doing it and I see a real career for myself going forward? I was studying I, I'm out of high school and I, and I, I, I was very lucky. I went to a, um, a high school where there happened to be it did the, the probably shouldn't have been, but there happened to be this, you know, very energetic and very inspired drama teacher who like really like was, who was prolific. He, he made us do like 12 productions a year and he organized these tours. So we would get together and actually tour to England and Japan performing at other schools. And, and, and that was, and, and that taught me a lot about just the rigor of it and, 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 and what, and, and, you know, speaking back to the camaraderie of what can happen in those environments, um, and, but, but I still didn't believe that it was something I could do for, for life. Um, and so I went to university and um, studied science and engineering and then kept auditioning for the local conservatories. But, you know, still didn't think I was, I was going to be doing this. And then even got into one of the conservatories and... Um, and, and when I started, I really did think when I graduated, uh, I'll maybe try for a few years, but I'll probably return to engineering. And then out of it, I, I, was, I was just sort of very, uh, you know, that there is a luck component. And, and uh, I was lucky to be able to quite quickly learn through doing it. And so, uh, you know, there was a big American show that came to town called the Pacific that I was, you know, very lucky to be, be a part of. And then through that I learned and then that led to something else, led to something else. And then, um, but in terms of, I think, you know, the first time that I, I thought like I was given, given something that was so right for me and, and a real like test was a, a show called The Code in Australia, which was um, a political thriller in the style of, more akin to what the British had been doing or the Norwegian or the Nordic um, thrillers were. And, uh, and that was a really special experience. So I'd say that that, that really cracked open something for me and, uh, and uh, showed me a new way of working and I discovered something new. And then that's, I think that's in a way the beginning of this, of the next trajectory and, and me loving this, the craft and me really Going back to the Pacific briefly, because that is a gigantic HBO production, and that's one of your very first screen credits. So what's something that made you go like, holy shit, I can't believe this is what it takes to make a production of this scale when you stepped onto that set? You know, I, I, I couldn't fathom it. And I was so green. I was so green. And, you know, I was just, uh, you know, I'd just come out of three years of uh, college, of art school, and... I was just trying everything, trying to bring it to life, and 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 when what is taught at at or what I was taught at school, did, you know, it, it it takes 
a bit to, to free yourself of that or for me to free, to free myself from that study and find what actually is real and what works. And, um, and, and uh, I was, I, I was, uh, I was in a daze for, uh, for most of that. It was, a, it was a, a, a very rapid uh, education process. It was also an interesting project because although like there was an ensemble of like 150 core cast or something like, or like maybe like 60 in the center of it and then 150 um, getting bigger and we, there, there was a boot camp and, and so that introduced me to a style of working that was, you know, very, very different and something I always wanted to be a, be a part of, not a boot camp necessarily, but an immersive kind of experience. It occupied me for years after I finished that project, thinking back to all the moments and thinking back to what it was. And, and uh, it, it took me a while to, like, uh, to be able to actually understand what it was that was happening and be able to actually know what the experience was. Like you said, that's an enormous ensemble, a massive production. Was that a circumstance that really reframed your understanding of what it can mean to be an actor in, in film and television pro production? Do you think you fully had a grasp on how big it could be? I don't think I could. I could grasp it. I. I, I really. There was. At first, there was so much. That was theoretical. Like I was, I think, twenty two, twenty three when, when I did it, and like we'll 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 hopefully we'll we'll talk about like Fear Street and those young actors, and I'm in awe of them. They're they're unique, and they and they're generous, and they just like that they work completely from what's true in themselves at, at all times. And, and it took me a long time to learn that. Uh, that, that is not something that came, came naturally. I'm still learning that. And, and that's, you know, I was, I was carrying a lot of like ideas about what, what it was. So, so I came into a thing that was that big and it was just more noise because it, I think, I think beautiful work can happen when it's that big and when it's just, you know, a couple of friends and a camera. I think you can make great cinema in both ways. And um, and it, it took me a while to figure out what the what the uh, what the essential was, what, what 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 it was that is actually our job. And you know, and to be completely just like ourselves is you know is the job. And then that's what I find so special about those younger Fear Street actors that that they just they seem to be have been born with that and that's a you know it, it, I was in awe you know, around them. I know you said that the search for that kind of continues and evolves still as you go along but is there any particular project or collaboration that kind of gave you the biggest nudge forward and started to let you tap into that? I think the code was, was a big thing for me personally in, in terms of it just gave me a way of working and it opened something up for me and then and then um, uh, and then I went a few months later, I was cast in something called Manhattan, which I, I met Haley out in <laughs> Santa Fe. Um, um, and uh, I thought, oh, this is what I want it to be um, all the time. That I, I think I, I you know, if, if, if I spend any time like looking back over the, the tapestry of what led, has led me here, like the, the singular thread is that whenever like there was, um, you know, a really rewarding experience. It was because I was, I was cast despite myself that whatever it was that, that the creators or the, I mean, the wealth of talent around is, is enormous that on, on the great projects, it's not about who can, who can uh, 
act it the best or who, who can do it the best. It's about, I, I really believe that it's about who has the soul that they need or who has the right, um, that, 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 that thing or that, that the experience. And whenever there was one of those projects and that ended up being really rewarding like Manhattan, um, it was because I was cast because they saw something in me that they needed for that specific story. And it would take me years and maybe I didn't even realize during but only afterwards why it was that it was me. Everybody who listens to this show knows that I still never shut up about how great Manhattan is. I love that show. There's a there's a special place in all of our hearts for, for those early champions of Manhattan. It's good. And also check this out. I just was rummaging through my shelves and look what I found. Oh damn. What a flashback. Um yeah. That uh, was very special and it was a perfect storm that allowed the show to happen, that probably allowed them to even cast me and then probably for that same reason, that's why the show couldn't continue. Like we, it was an, uh, a very, I, I think a very early victim of this transition of network, of cable to something else. I think if streaming didn't happen and, and cables kept expanding, maybe maybe they would have continued. But that one, that, that hurt, that one hurt. It makes sense. It was a phenomenal show, but I will say it helps because it hurts me from a different angle to not have seen the future of that story. However, it helps that really the core cast has kind of gone on to really blow up in certain capacities. Like everyone is doing great, phenomenal work. And I don't know off the top of my head who the casting director was, but man, they did great work. Dini Bacharach, yeah, what, what a... What a group, like what, what an astounding group of people that they assembled when, um, and, and some of us were, were a little known, but, but generally like they, they brought together a group of essentially unknown people to inhabit this thing. And uh, um, I'm obviously Olivia Williams, John Benjamin Hickey and Daniel Stern, very incredibly well known, but then, then the rest of us, you know, still really just starting out and they, yeah, and now and uh, and everyone's doing such such big, beautiful stuff. And, yeah, Kelly finally encouraged me to start the binge, and I have, and I would have finished if I didn't move this week. But in case anybody out there wants to binge yeah. Manhattan, the whole thing is available on Hulu. Yeah, you can download it and take it with you on the plane, just like I did. Great, it's very it's very special. Yeah, it's a it's a really special thing, and and it does have. And even though we just got to do the two seasons, there is an ending. Um, it would have been lovely to find out where it goes but, but there is an ending of sorts it's not a it i i think we did it, it does complete a, a story for sure it, you kind of touched on it a little bit but something i was always fascinated about that um was wgna was uh, like a, a like you said kind of stuck between two eras of tv and yeah. uh, a short-lived network that put a lot into their productions you know when we were there on set they're gorgeous built sets and i'm curious from the the actor's perspective the performers how aware were you of the transition that was happening in the industry and how sort of unique it was what they were trying to do on that network if like the last year especially has taught me anything is how incapable i am to assess what's going on in the world at all and like the like uh the inability for me to actually see the what the short-term changes will be but i when we we were starting out and netflix was just i mean house of cards had just come out and they were only now starting to and 
and and at the same time, WGN launched their own platform. They had moved from like a very small uh, local station, I believe, like it was known for playing Cub Chicago Cubs games, to now like putting a lot of money into development. And um, we we didn't know, but we did think that what perhaps naively and maybe why it was so hard that that show ended like it did was we just thought we were immune to the gods of Hollywood that, that we just thought it was, it was just so special. And the, and the work that was going into it and the group we had, we really just thought how, how in the world could this, could, could this not, not go on? So I personally was very blind to how, how all that was moving. It happened real fast. It's like this. Yeah. And it, and it'll keep happening fast. I think now we're even seeing this, uh, the, the war of the streaming networks where we're going to, I, I imagine in a few years, see only a few remaining and we're there. Everyone's trying to vie for power. In there, in there. Well, even Fear Street's journey to streaming has been something yeah. unique and different. Yeah. And I, and I listened to the uh, your, your Lee's interview as well, which I, I'll spruik that back. I highly recommend anyone to download that and, and listen. Um, yeah, exactly. This was originally made for Fox and with a with a view for it to be a theatrical release, and then um, and then the merger between Fox and Disney happened, and then it was never really a, a Disney. It was never made to be a Disney piece, and very luckily we ended up on Netflix. So makes me giggle a little to think about the possibility of this being imagine? under the Disney umbrella. I'm very thankful that that did not happen. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Is Fear Street and The Wind the only two horror films you've ever been a part of? Yeah, I, I've been in another thriller, but uh, essentially, yes. Yeah. Is there think, anything about The Wind and working with Emma on that that you found coming in handy when jumping into Fear Street? Not. Uh, it, it, that's interesting. Not particularly. And for me, even in the way Lee would, would talk about it with us and the way we worked, or maybe it was just where Nick slash Solomon sat is that it, it, it never felt for, for me like we were doing a horror film. There was just something so real at the center of it that we just kept, that, or that I just kept playing into that. I guess it gets a little, a little crazy towards the end and that was, <laughs> um, it, it's funny, I haven't had a chance to actually talk about it without revealing anything. Finally, I have my chance to tell my, my story, my yeah. side of the story. <laughs> um, uh, but, but yeah, it, 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 it's funny. It, it, it just never, it never felt like that. Like, and that's the, the genius I have. And, the, and it's something I don't understand. I don't understand that. I, I, there is no way I could ever make, direct this. Like the, like the, the, the understanding to, like to lay, layer the, the gravity and the humanity, which is I think where, like, where we live with, with everything else it takes to build a great horror film, like that's a, that's a craft I, I couldn't begin to understand. Understandable. Again, I think this is next level content here. Before we jump into Fear Street full force, do we want to touch on Succession at all? Because my job was to binge Manhattan and Haley's job was to catch up on Succession. And she you haven't done Succession yet? Oh, I hadn't. I'm a mad person. I don't know what's wrong with me. 
but it was incredible. I watched it in like two days. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and as I- much of a horror film as, as anything else. No kidding. Um, yeah, a very, just a really special thing to be a part of. And, you know, and, and also just a very unique experience. And there's something that, like, on all of these great, yes, like uh, Manhattan, Succession, Fear Street, the, the, the through line towards all the, through all those things was, um, yeah, that I, I, I was cast, I think, because of something that I was not in control of. And also that the experience of making them are unique, that it didn't, none of them felt like the others. And uh, I think that's a testament to the to the creative process, to the creative minds who are trying to who, who who put it together. You going through all your credits too. It's also incredible how many things that you've been a part of with such exceptional ensembles. Like they're they're all like next level ensemble pieces too, which I don't know. I find very fascinating and like a probably like a wonderful opportunity for you. Yeah, and very enjoyable. Um, I I don't know how much control I've wielded over the things that I've been like luckily to be a part of but I for some reason I I do think uh those people who do choose to include me in their shows include me in in a in a type of show I I, I've been it's not that I haven't I haven't auditioned for other kind of work it's just I'm very lucky to have like been included in this stuff Something that really stood out to me watching it within the span of like 48 hours is uh, uh, I couldn't do it. I, I would watch it back like episode. There were some episodes where I was behind and I wanted to watch it. And I don't watch everything, but I, I that I, I really wanted to watch. And 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 I couldn't do it. I like there's some episodes where I just felt too sick. Mm. Um, yeah. But, well, that's but- kind of. I mean it's a lot is kind of what I'm saying. These people are so much to take. And I'm curious, is there like, how do they direct you when you're saying despicable things and the audience needs to stay on board? Like, how do you guys approach performing these characters that that some of the dialogue you get that all these characters get, it's just real, real nasty stuff to say to another human, but you are sucked in and you love watching these characters. When I was there, it's sort of amazing how, how loose it felt and how, I mean, you can feel it, I think in, in watching it, that there's so much freedom and there's just, I think the writing is so strong and then they just allow so much, they set it up in a way that there's just a lot of freedom. Um, and then all they, and that just sort of creates a very loose environment. And, and I think something else they do there that's so special is that they're just kind of, they let something just unfold and then they keep interrogating it and then they, if they have alt lines and they just keep throwing in new things that they there's they just don't have a lot of they don't worry about judging the spending much time judging the characters and i think that's what that's what maybe makes it special it's 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 trying it's another it's another one of those things it's like trying to understand a magic i have a lot of lo- love for the creative process and and I, and i have a lot of faith in it that that the environment often makes the thing. And I think on all of these great things, it's the creators um, and they're Jesse Armstrong who just creates a very special environment and, and that carries into the thing. My other secession question is what is, like what was your favorite part of a per- as a performer playing in that world of these like snakes and vipers 
and that dynamic. And what was your favorite part of uh, filling out the dynamic between Nate and Shiv? Well, what's what's lucky is that um, I've known Sarah for for years. We're both Australians out here, and um, and that was very special in terms of moments later on when it gets pretty spicy between uh, like the wine bottle scene with Matt and um, there are a few like that that gets quite quite ridiculous but it's very funny there seems to be like a quite a big Nate hate going on and um, I always thought he was a kind of a good guy so I just thought he was just like trying to connect with someone he he loved it, it, and and maybe yeah it's so so it, it's a, yeah it's a difficult one we, I I don't know how active we were in trying to fill fill it out I think we just were having a good time doing that and then the story just ends up doing so much for us I, I think that on the scale of secession characters Nate is definitely one of the gooder guys like. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's odd the people who put him high on the hate scale. I, I feel like I worry for them a little. Like that's a, it's like I don't know what kind of a what kind of a human being fears him more than the others. I think about that wine scene very odd. Like just like a part of me dot like, and it's appropriate that this happens, but a part of me dies inside just watching him go through that right smack in the middle of a room full of people. Yeah. And yet him deserving it and. Can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah. How, how, uh, how difficult is it to pour a glass of wine back? I do wonder <laughs> about that. <laughs> I think maybe that's the most stressful part about that. <laughs> what happened to your shoes? <laughs> that part was actually kind of strangely, I was actually surprised at how easy that, that part is. So if anyone ever wants to save their wine, like. <laughs> But if you're done, put it back in. Like hot it's actually hot tip. All right, Fear Street. Fear Street. All right. So starting at the beginning of that, I'm curious how this project was first pitched to you. Like the very first description of your character you ever got, and also the very first description of this production process, which is another very unique thing about this trilogy. It's interesting. I I was sent, I was sent a script. Um, and I was sent sides and the sides were what would end up being Lee Janiak, Nick Good, Solomon Good sides. Um, and the script I got was an earlier draft. It was from a team prior to Lee. Um, and the two didn't really match. The, the, but the script was fun, but it was, I think probably I would describe it as just more fun oriented rather than actually uh, trying to speak to anything or it, it didn't, it, it was just sort of using the, the nostalgia. It actually felt a little more goosebumpsy than it felt um, fear, like, like Fear Street. And uh, I'm not sure if that's fair. It, it was, but, but it was, it was just a, uh, it was just a very different piece, and it, but the sides were really rich, and they and uh, and so I did. I I I sent the tape, and Lee had seen it, and I, and she was familiar with me already. Like I think she said in the your interview with her with, and she had seen Manhattan, 
and um, something connected and then we met and it was only there that she actually described the Fear Street universe as she understands it, uh, the, the, how the three timelines work. I didn't know Nick was who he ends up being um, when we started. I, I think that first iteration was more, you know, I think when w- this sort of carried a little bit, but we play with a trope in the first film that like, is he the, uh, the, the, the unknowing cop that might turn around, might come around and join, join the kids or might be helpful in some way. I think there's, there's a red herring that we just sort of should try to play with a little. And the first iteration, it was far more that, that than anything. Um, and then, and then, Lee told me what it was that these films were and meeting Lee and just seeing what an original she is and like how she talked about it and what it was she wanted to make. And then that's, that's when I was uh, all in. And I, I, I left and I, I just told all my, my, my reps, like, please, like whatever, whatever is going to take, whatever is going to go on for me, please. Let's just make this happen. Smart move there. Good move, strong move. Um, but we just got on really well and we talked about it. And it was also interesting how, and I think, I, I don't know if uh, Lee mentioned it, Lee hates auditioning. She, she hates the experience of it, I think, because she doesn't like, uh, I, I think because she doesn't like putting people in those situations. She doesn't like any, she doesn't like power dynamics. And, and she doesn't like it when there's, uh, I think that's why, I, I should ask her about that, but she just knows exactly what it is and what she needs. And then she sees it in people and wants to add those people to the, to the collection. And she, it, she just trusts her instinct so much. Pretty incredible. That's very interesting. Did you ultimately have to do like any chemistry reads at all? Or did she go full instinct? That was it. It was just the initial tape and then the meeting. And, and, uh, and I was shocked because that's not, that wasn't typically where I was at career wise. Um, and I, I absolutely expected to, that there would be more rounds to this, but I think she, she just knew what it was that she wanted um, from this. And that was it. And yeah. Got that vision, man. <laughs> so yeah. you jump into filming 1994 first. What was it like? I don't know if there was any workshopping involved or any conversations you had with Lee while you did this, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how much of Nick's truth to pepper in throughout that film, yeah. because it's a thing where you watch it the first time and I pick up on any of that. Then after I watched the full trilogy and I went back, I see little hints all over the place. Right. We, we talked a lot about it. We really like one, she, it was plotted perfectly. Like, like to be able to, put three movies together and think you've reached the end of a movie, even like the trick of knowing you thinking you've reached understood Nick's story at the end of two is like quite a magic trick. And that's, so it was plotted incredibly. And, and then it was, and then we just talked a lot about how we play that. Yeah. It it was unlike anything I've ever done because we, we, that, that was also a responsibility. It wasn't as simple as playing something, as a truth, we we had to be conscious of of keeping that secret alive, and yet tell, yet giving enough other like playing into enough other tropes, and also the audience is just so sophisticated. They 
if, if this film was made 30 years ago, we could have done something like it, it would have been a different set of rules that we'd be playing with, but I, everyone is looking for it. They know the tricks, they know what they're looking for. And, um, and we, and so absolutely we were trying to toe the line. And, and at the same time, we also didn't want him to be um, bland. We, we couldn't make him be nothing. We, we, we had to offer something and it just, yeah. And I, and I, I am, I am glad you you say that because, and that's, I think something I'm, I'm proud of that we, I think in watching it back, it does still track both realities track pretty well. And that's, um, yeah, it's something we did have to just work on pretty. You should pretty be badly. proud of that. that. I mean, like being able to pull something off like that requires like a next level amount of nuance. And I think you definitely nail it. Thanks. Yeah, we're, um, we're, Lee and I were texting after the second movie came out and we were like, I, I don't think anyone knows. <laughs> I think we're good. <laughs> I didn't hit, I mean, we always talk like spoilers and theories right after every single installment comes out. I didn't see many people throwing that one around after 94 or even 78 for that matter. Yeah. And what, I mean, it's, it's really old leap. What an, uh, yeah, it, it's. You, you had me going most of the time through 1666 as well, because there yeah. is such a strong chemistry between you and Kiana that I couldn't help but to want, like, even though I knew that wasn't the path she was on, like, I wanted, like, some semblance of relationship <laughs> to work between Solomon and Sarah because, like, it felt like they both had holes in their heart and just, like, needed help. And I wanted them to have that help from each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I'm... to piggyback off that I think it's the to me the most impressive thing is that you keep that ruse going until almost the very end of 66 or you know at least the end of the portion set in 66 um because you had to pull that trick off twice is what I'm trying to say with right. two characters back to back shooting back to back how did you approach your prep process for these two characters that are so thematically related with the same actors mm. and main you know and the physical endurance required to shoot it. Yeah, there's, it is interesting and you're right because the thematic storyline is the same like between them both. They're, they're both and, and horrible things start happening and they have to live through those things knowing that they're responsible for those horrible things. And um, I'll start with Solomon, Solomon first was, there's something, something we, we kept talking about was that like, although, you know, I, this is like, uh, I, I don't really, I, I don't know what that phrase is, but you like, there's this adage, you have to love your characters. And, and I think that's like, that's a nice, like trick or thing to remember if you have trouble like identifying with bad behavior, but I don't think I have trouble with that. I think, you know, there's, we are all, multitudes like that like we have most human beings i think have that there's a spectrum of like potential bad behavior so like i i have i typically don't have trouble like engaging with something lee and i talked about is that there would have been a cynicism in in either character being um completely uh, not feeling the events that were unfolding. 
So Solomon, as the reality of what the pastor does unfolds and he gets faced with that reality, like that is, whether that's guilt, it's something he feels and it would have been too arch if he just also didn't feel anything about that. So there are things he feels. I'm not saying that's that's anything akin to empathy we need to have. Like, Like that's not something that we need to like, feel sorry for like but 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 i i just think that there is genuine feeling about the events that are unfolding and i think that helps us advance that lie for as long as like to keep the lie alive i i say that it like genuinely i don't need any empathy for any of these two characters but they but but in terms of helping us advance the the lie then uh th- th- then in that that way that that is helpful um and and so i for me so solomon in he's he's the originator of this thing that he um you know it, whatever came over from the old world this he didn't come up with the idea of um of putting uh, of using other people or of like um, sacrificing others for the benefit of himself. Like that, that's, that's not new, but he did, um, but he did start it. He, he started it again here and he thought he deserved it. And I think he was just too weak to actually see another option. And so he actually ends up being the one to, to pull the trigger just because it's something that he deserved. I'm getting a little lost. Hopefully this is hopefully this is all interesting. Um, well, yeah. Um, and then and then Nick is just the the person who has to keep it going, and that's another experience in itself. He he's the person who's blind to the realities of those situa- of the situation. He's someone who just doesn't have to face the fact that um, that those in society who have the dice loaded against them he would believe that that it's still their fault that they're in this situation that they can't rise out of it themselves. Um, and so that was the approach to that. I think I've clock in my head that just felt like I was talking for too long. Um, I just, I just you're, think you're that, talking about all this stuff to the right people, though. <laughs> we could probably sit here mesmerized for hours. Um, I, I, I just think that there is like a, an important but subtle difference between the two. One, one is just the, the the person who 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 came up with it, and the other is the one who uh, perpetuated it. And and both of those people are interesting to to think about because they they are around and like especially those who perpetuate this reality this dynamic in our society is something that's that's very real and i think there's something that like while we kept the lie alive like i i feel like what's satisfying about these films and definitely when i read it was that it just makes sense like when it ends up that it's nick and solomon and then nick it's just it's just that's the only way this thing could have ever gone. It has to have been. It has to have been that. What about the difference between, I mean, Solomon or Nick? 
seeing the death that they cause versus when Nick puts his hand on that beating heart at the end. What kind of discussions did you and Lee have in order to make that moment feel feel different? Because, you know, we only get to spend that time with him for, you know, a, a couple of mere seconds. We don't really see him like fully process it to the extent of, you know, let's say Alice in 78. So what's going on in your head playing that beat? Yeah. So, so I think there's a few, there's a few like interesting levels to, to, to like, so, so Nick, Nick is like, like in, in one way, he's just someone who wants the status quo to stay exactly as it is. He doesn't want anyone to, to try to change anything. That's his job. That's what's been put on him. And if anyone ever tries to do anything a little different, he needs to kind of shut that down. And then, and then when Dina, when, when, when the, the group seems to have, be very close to unraveling his reality like it's all just fear and anger that kicks in and he all he wants is it's it's very funny and that's something i think we see often and i you know whenever there's a new level of you know every, every time i think it's something that we see that whenever those in power feel like that there's that power is being taken away from them a little bit um, there's a knee-jerk reaction against it, all based on fear, and it's and it's angry, and and that is what happens in Nick. It's it's first it's a it's a it's an instinct to control it, and then there's an instinct to um, to 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 be enraged by it, to to be threatened by it, and then there's the uh, and then putting the hand on the beating heart of evil. There, there's an extra level, which is uh, um, you know. Well, it, it's it's cathartic in a way. It, it doesn't end that way for Nick, but like it's the mental game of thinking like, what if all those people who are perpetuating this division in our society had to actually experience the pain that they've been caused, whether they're the ones who pulled the trigger or just the ones who maintain it. If they had to actually feel that pain, um, what would happen? And um and so that's, I, I think, what, what it was that we did to it, not like in, in the film as a punishment in a way, but also as, as I think, a catharsis for, for everyone, for them, for us, for, for hopefully the person to actually, yeah, to make, make, make those who have been trying to hang on to power for so long um, suffer it, suffer the pain. So true. A very good way to put that. Um, I'm looking at my lengthy list of like real geeky spoiler questions right now. Another thing I'm curious if you discussed it with Lee at all is the goods selection process, how they pick who they wind up possessing. Yeah, I, like for example, um, Ryan at the beginning. Um, yeah, it's, Well, I think, well, I think Solomon picked the pastor because he was just, je it's just jealousy. And the pastor was, the, is the most senior person in the town and, uh, and the person who's also, and also I think Solomon would thinks he's uh, an outsider. I think he thinks he's got big ideas, uh, you know, that, that like, and he thinks he's an esoteric well, when in fact, he's just not, he's just, he's just nothing. And um, so he, he chose the person who was attacking him. He felt he was attacked by the pastor being like the head of the 
this very exoteric power base. And so I think that's why Solomon chose him. And then, uh, and yeah, Nick chose Ryan. I think I, we, we, did, we did talk about it. I, I, I can't remember exactly. I think it was something petty. I think also Nick just has like a very petty like view on like why he, like why he keeps bringing Martin in. I think he just like, like Ryan just said the wrong thing to him at a traffic stop. And, uh, and that was it. I think that's like, he just felt a little threatened. That, and that's all it took. I very much believe that. This is a little bit of a silly question, but do you think that any of the goods compare the slashers they created? Like, is Nick thinking like, you know, Skull Mask is way better than Nightwing or, or not Nightwing, but ones that came before Nightwing? That's, that's good. <laughs> there was a bit when Lee, she didn't know exactly what she wanted to do with it, where we kind of like, play the history of the goods like this kind of dread we we very quickly did some uh, uh some hair and glasses and things and we tried to kind of play different characters through the timeline and I think some of them were bigger creeps Nick's a creep but like more more uh, like aware creeps I think Nick just believes himself just so blind that he just believes himself to be a good guy I think uh I, I think he was just really shocked. I think Nick was just, <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's good. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I think about. <laughs> that, that made me curious. Did you guys talk at all? Like what? what is the dynamic in the good family? Like what's a Christmas like at the good family residence? <laughs> we, we, we talked a lot about like what generational uh, evil looks like and also generational trauma and how those, that the past influences the present and that's, that's everyone. And, um, and that Nick's father was probably very, very overbearing and, uh, you know, and, and, pl and put this responsibility on, on Nick. And we see it, we see him, he's just such a, like, he, he has no idea who he is in 1978 and he's just grasping at straws and grasping at anything that feels real, which is Ziggy. And, and, and so I, I, I think for me I think it was just that like he's just lonely like he Nick had just been lonely his whole life he is is he never he could never talk to anyone about this we, his brother probably knew but didn't like knew that something was up maybe but like w felt out of it um so I I just I don't think that they were rejoicing I don't think they were all celebrating this thing and all getting into the witch's outfits I think that they uh I I think it was just a dark place. It was just like, it was just gross. I mean, that house that they made that Dean and Sam, <laughs> the Dean and Sam kind of come up into, yeah. Did you get to go uh, into that set at all? I, did, I didn't, I, I, I was already done by the time they shot that. I feel like even though like you very quickly and easily get a sense of what that entire house looks like, I still want to explore every like yeah, I know. of it. They did such a good job. And actually like the, there's some in the background, there's some, there's a few photos of um, uh, Matt who plays my brother and I like they needed photos of me that uh, they wanted to put some photos of young, a younger Nick. And I, I just didn't have anything in my out, like in my, photo stream that looked anything like, like anything that would be appropriate so Matt and I just took a camera and went out and 
played golf. Like, well, we didn't even play. We just took a golf buggy and we just thought golf was the, the most perfect, uh, like, synergy of what's everything that's wrong with these people. And so we just got in our, like, brightly colored polos and and took a bunch of shots of us playing golf. We, they, they're, they're really brilliant. I don't think many made into it, but they were... <laughs> yeah, we took a lot of photos of us just playing golf. You should share those on social. I, I should, yeah, yeah, I should. Uh, I'll go find them. One of my favorite like moments of character transformation for you is the scene where you're really having it out with Sarah in 1666, you know, the hand scene. Blah. Um, but I'm curious the transition between this sort of like desperation in Solomon and his his you know trying to tell her that he loves her and to try to bring her back around and then the moment he decides that's no longer an option and switches into he's going to give her up to people he's just so fragile like he's gotten he he, he just had his like his trunk is just so thin he's got not like the wind just blows and he's just ends up being so reactive and I think that's there's just no backbone in him at all that so feels rejected he's scared and he lashes out and he ends up like grasping at straws which is to try to like pull pull uh Sarah towards him and and then uh and 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 then he does what what he has to do to protect himself. I think that's just, I mean, I, I think that's the through line of the good characters is just like the fear that they have of, of being found out and being of their power being taken away. And I think that's what goes on there that, and they just grasp at straws, but they don't feel anything. Mm. Like, I don't even know, like what if Sarah said yes to him? Like, what would that relationship look like? Like, like what kind of a man would he, could he be? like or a partner like what I, I i think he he it was just it was just him acting entirely out of fear that that progression yeah interesting i was gonna ask if uh, you thought it's he really loved her that sounds like a hard no well i i think he would say so i just don't think he knows what love is i, I think i think he he absolutely feels that i i think he he, he would identify something and it would like but but he doesn't i, I don't think he could put that together like same with Nick, I just don't think he, they're both just little little boys, like, yeah. Wait, before our last two, Haley, I do have one more Fear Street question. <laughs> did, did you guys ever discuss incorporating the fact that, that Nick needs to continue the lineage and maybe peppering that throughout his journey in the films? You know, we, we never talked about that, but I, I did think about it, that it was interesting that he was, he hadn't started that process. And I thought that that was, that, I, I did think that maybe that was that like, that was the one redeeming quality. I, I did think he needed like Nick himself needed to feel conflicted about what was going on. Um, and, and that maybe a part of him didn't want to pass this on. I, that, that's just, again, we have no need to, enter into any empathy for these characters at all but that but that but for playing it I think that's um that that was true so so there was a maybe and, and I thought it was interesting that he was just this single bachelor living in this ridiculous house 
exactly what went through my mind with Nick. And like, I know we have a full complete story in this trilogy here, but I, I would be so curious to know Solomon's next steps, especially after what he went through with his family. Like he obviously continued the bloodline and I don't know, just between what you described with feeling some guilt over seeing what the pastor did, what he went through in the past with his family, coming to the decision to continue what he's doing for future goods versus just making this something that benefits himself in the moment. There's just, there's so many little details in there that I think yeah. would make any goods story worth exploring even further. Absolutely. Now I, I feel I, greedy. No, I, I think, I, I think that's like, in, in a way we also have that story. Like, like that's the story of America. Like, like having like white men have to have gone through like, you know, uh, slavery, oppression of women, um, the witch trials, and then, and then have to, keep living for another 300 years and maintain that, that, that like, that's, that's the story of Solomon good after, after that moment, like, uh, like whatever has to happen to be blind to the actual pain that you're causing or like maintaining, like that's, that's the, that's the story. And it's, it's horrible. Yeah. It, oh, that's a ridiculous, like what, a, what an understatement. <laughs> huh. it's hor- horrible, fascinating. And, I mean, I, I can't get enough of these movies. Like, again, I, I know we've said it before, but congratulations on Fear Street to you and the entire team. I, I think I can speak for Haley in that we are both obsessed with these movies. I agree, yes. Do we uh, want to try to squeeze in our last two before we let Ash go? Yeah, that you watched the episode. Lee, you know what's coming. I, I did, yeah. I actually <laughs> stopped when it said, like, we do these two questions. I heard the first question. And then I, I, I went, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to get the second question live. I've never had a pet growing up. We, we never had any pets. And then um, a year ago in the middle of the pandemic, um, I was living with um, some family and uh, it's sort of, it's sort of this uh, like a brownstone, but it's like a few apartments and there's other family in other floors of the apartment. And there were rats in the basement. And because covid all the restaurants shut down so they weren't putting their rat poisons out so suddenly there were more rats around and um and uh so there were rats in the basement and then the family decided to think to get uh, a dog to solve the rat problem and i said you know i think that's a pretty reactive situation but my voice doesn't carry much weight and so they but they decided on their own not to get the dog instead they got a kitten and like i I've, i don't know anything about kittens or cats and I didn't back then. And then um, um, it turns out kittens do nothing against rats because they're smaller. And then, so then the kitten ended up being put on in our apartment um, and then we were, the kitten was forced on us. And, and until that point, I didn't, I, I, I didn't understand cat people. Hallie, I know you're, you, you've got, you both have cats? Do you, Oh, I had I had the same cat. problem as you though. Right. And I didn't like I didn't understand cats. I didn't understand the people talking about their cats and I have never my like opinion on something has never switched so rapidly so quickly and now <laughs> so now we have this kitten um who's a year old. I, I think we're maybe still allowed to call it a kitten and uh, yeah that's what so that's that's what we have. And, What's the kitty's name? Lyncher. So the dog's name is. So this isn't good content. The dog's name is Bobby. The cat should be called Bobbeline, and it's 
lean lean shit for sure this isn't great this isn't good that's adorable oh it's it's great for us <laughs> we love the pet talk that we do yeah, yeah that, that that's been that's been my last year i i i, I can't believe it I, I actually this this little thing i really I, i'm i'm a little blown away I, i'm yeah. delighted you came around same thing happened <laughs> to my mom by the way she was not a cat person moved in with the cat obsessed Obsessed right. with cats now. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I 100% get it. I, I, I was know. a dog person my whole life. And then I finally got a cat when I was living in Manhattan and it changed everything. The surprise second question for you. If it's something you've seen lately or revisited, just anything in genre that you love, a film, a book or TV show that you would recommend people go check out? Yeah, I, I so I, I, I have both um, not a great cinema knowledge um, and so, but at the beginning, and also definitely not genre. I've never that been that uh, like enthralled. Um, but I um, did. I just lose lose the interview. Like that's now just cut. They cut you cut me off just before that. Um, that, but um, but I did like at the beginning of the year. I started giving myself sort of a cinema education, and um, and there were a few that. And in terms of like genre, like thrillers really get me. Badlands is something I saw, which. I, I still think about, uh, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I just say Badlands, Terrence Malick's Badlands. It's remarkable. Like how that story moves and what happens. It's really very strange and scary. And Excellent. I will take that. All right. We got to let you go now. But again, thank um, you for hanging out with us and huge congratulations to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everyone, that is it. You have officially survived the witching hour. <laughs>